You're listening to episode 206, Mindful Fitness with Brock Armstrong. I think a lot of people look at professional athletes and they think that they just leap out of bed every morning with all the motivation and all the willpower in the world and, and stuff. And that's how they get their workouts done and they nail everything and stuff. And it's like, no, it's just what they do. Like, it's just the same way that we have to go to work to pay our bills and, and collect the, the paycheck and, and balance the checkbook and buy groceries so we don't starve to death and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just another thing that they do. This is the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. James Clear, taking it away for us, author of Atomic Habits. If you don't know who James Clear is, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Go out there and read it. If you haven't, it's in my recommended reading list. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Such a good quote about the power of habits and the importance of your daily choices more importantly, why are you making those choices, which is much more important than knowing, you know, your level of motivation or discipline or all these things we're going to get into today, especially we're talking about health, fitness, living a mindful life, a purpose-driven life. All these things rely on the type of habits that you make and how do you keep yourself motivated and what is motivation? What does it really mean? Is there something as motivation or is there something deeper that we can explore? So that's what we're going to get into today. Super excited. My inspiring guest is Brock Armstrong. Brock's functional approach to fitness and movement comes from his extensive experience in the fitness, movement, and wellness industry. His credentials include certified AFLCA group fitness leader with a designation in portable equipment, NCCP and CAC triathlon coach, team and training certified run coach. He's a member of the Superhuman Coach Network. He's on the advisory board of the Primal Health Coach Training. He's also an instructor for the Bulletproof Training Institute. And Brock is a former professional ballet dancer, and he's coached well over 300 people across the finish line. If you want to follow Brock, it's brockarmstrong.com, B-R-O-C-K-A-R-M-S-T-R-O-N-G.com. That's like the astronaut. Now, Brock is offering something really cool for anybody listening to the, today's episode. It's going to be a seven-day mindset reset program through his Wayless uh, weight program and, and mindset group. You know, it's a very powerful program. Brock is an expert at helping people change their relationship to food, to their mindset around diet and exercise. And this is a seven-day mindset video series that's free to you. I'm going to set the link for this in the show notes for this episode. 
Uh, so the way you access that, you go to danceoflife.com slash podcast. That's where all the posts are and show notes, and you can access this via episode 206. All the links for the stuff will be in there. Now, today we're talking about mindful fitness. What is that? You know, it's really about integrating the mind and connecting to ourselves and intuition with what we do. Movement is a very natural part of life and living and fitness, as you'll learn in this today's conversation, has become a really isolated thing. You know, we, we've we only had gyms for like the last 90 years. Before that, people were working outside and being, you know, working on the garden, being outside in some way, form hard labor, you know, doing errands, you know, doing housework, whatever it is, we're always exercising and moving regardless. You know, we didn't need a gym. We didn't need online videos to do that. We have so many different diets today and so many opinions and, and structure. And as you'll learn, hopefully in this conversation, it's a lot of that is going to be a disordered way of looking at your fitness and your diet. So pretty exciting stuff. Got a lot of great, great golden nuggets in this conversation. So relevant, especially as we have had so much time on our own to introspect lately and to to get in tune with ourselves to decide how we want to live our life. And also, you know, when you're quarantined or when you when you have to be in the house for a long period of time, learning to enjoy your time and to make it productive is so, so, so important. And today's conversation is going to give you a lot of tools to approach your diet, your fitness, the choices that you make on a daily basis on how to live a healthy life uh, in so many ways. Super excited to share with you guys. If you, if you find value in this, share it with anybody in your life who needs to hear this message about fitness, about diet, about Brock's programs. It's free for anybody who's listening to go check it out. So share it with them. You, know, you never know you get a difference you're going to make in somebody's life. I hope you guys enjoy. If you do, if this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe for regular weekly inspirational content. I'm so grateful to be able to share this kind of stuff with you. Hope it makes a difference in your life. If it does, if something snaps for you today and you make a big decision in your life or you try something new from the episode and it, and it works, let me know. Tag me at Tudor Alexander Official. You can email me, tutor at danceoflife.com. I am always open to hear from you guys. I love chatting with you and hearing how your life's changed. So thank you so much for being here. Without further ado, let's jam to a little music and jump into Mindful Fitness with Brock Armstrong. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Dance of Life. I am joined by coach, athlete, writer, and the Get Fit Guy, Brock Armstrong. What's up, dude? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is fun. I do a, a weekly podcast all by my lonesome, so it's always <laughs> nice to have somebody else to talk to, especially during this lockdown quarantine time. <laughs> I know. It's it's really crazy, man. It's just uh, we have adapted to... A really totally different world like I can't I mean I'm 35 I don't think I've ever experienced anything like what we're experiencing now to the level of impact on society it's it's really crazy yeah no absolutely not I, I'm 48 and um, 
I'm part of Generation X. And it's funny, a lot of us Generation Xers have been sort of uh, proudly displaying our ability to stay home and entertain ourselves because that was how we were raised. We were the latchkey kids. It's like you got home from school before your parents were home from work and you had to yep. make your own dinner and watch TV and, and stuff. So it's like, oh yeah, okay, I'm, I know how to do this. I know how to stay home and keep to myself. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, man. I'll tell you like one thing, I'm an introvert, number one, and despite all the things that I do with podcasting and and performing and stuff, I'm actually quite introverted. So this to me has been a long awaited vacation. (laughs) (laughs) You know know how it is being an entrepreneur. I mean, it's like you're working 24 seven. And so to, to, I don't think I've ever had this much amount of time to just like, okay, I can ride my bike, go out in nature, you know, Mm -hmm. do whatever I want. You know, it's just, it's been nice. So I'm really, (laughs) I'm enjoying it. That's good. I'm glad that uh, I think that's a really important thing right now to keep in mind is we can choose to be victims of the circumstance or yeah. we can choose to make the best of it. And and really, what's the downside to to making the best of it? Like trying to find those important times and those lessons that we can learn from being given sort of the gift to to really reinvent ourselves in a lot of ways. I run a, a weight loss program called Wayless, and we currently have, I think it's like 300 or so people going through the program. And wow. the, the initial sort of reaction to having to stay at home, not being able to go to work, having the kids at home, having all of that kind of stuff was this panic and like, how am I possibly going to stay on track with my meal plans and my exercise and stuff when my life has been completely turned upside down? And sure, you could view it that way, or you could look at it as an opportunity to shore up those behaviors and those mindsets and those habits that will contribute to you having success when all of this is is over. Mm. And uh, I think... I think it really is. Like, I'm a big believer in cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm actually studying to be a practitioner at the moment. I'm a practitioner oh, wow. in training. And that is one of the core tenets of cognitive behavioral therapy is that we can control, we can't control what happens to us, but we can control the way that we view it or the way or the thoughts that we allow to, to sort of spring up or, or that we feed in our brains. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for all of us to to look at how we're reacting, think about whether or not that's productive or hurtful or helpful or, or whatever, and then and make some, cho- some changes in the way that we're viewing things. So I know it's, it's easier said than done, but just sort of planting that seed for anybody out there listening that we do have control over the way that we react to things, even though we don't have control over <laughs> this crazy situation that we find ourselves in. And we're all in it together too, which is somewhat comforting, I think. So... Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we have had more time to ourselves now than ever before. And it's almost forcing people. I mean, I honestly see all this as a good thing, because in order for you to advance your life in any way, you have to spend time on your own to to Mm -hmm. some degree, you have to like have internal time, you have to stop the momentum of, of what you're doing so that you can redirect and, and kind of get a new direction, a new position. So it's making a lot of people uneasy, you know, even with, let's say we're talking about fitness and we use that topic. I mean, gyms are closed. Oh my God, I can't work out now because the gym is closed. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. Do you think people had gym? I mean, I was reading an article. I think you wrote an article about like the history of the gym and stuff was really interesting. Really interesting. I mean, I never really occurred to me, but yeah, like, (laughs) I mean, the gyms were just these warehouses that 
got started to whatever, have a place to exercise. But before that people were just doing manual labor, like all our grandparents, Yeah, they're out in the farm and you know, it's, it's a different kind of mentality that you have to go somewhere to exercise. It's, it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. The marketing is really the, the genius of the whole thing is really came down to, well, I use genius facetiously, of course, the, but the marketing of the gym being the place where you need to go in order to become fit or grow muscle or get endurance or whatever you're after is, has been so insidious that like you were saying, like when the gyms shut down, all of a sudden there was panic. There was just mass mm. panic on online for, and I was more aware of it than, than most because of where, because I'm a, a fitness coach and fitness writer and stuff. And people were writing to me going, what am I supposed to do? The gyms are closed. I can't get to my yoga you class. An article like, about how to work out. <laughs> yeah. They are. Please post some videos online. And I'm like, well, sure. But you know, it's not that complicated, right? Like, right yeah. There's really only three components to, taking a movement and making it into a workout and that's that it needs to raise your heart rate. It needs to challenge your muscles and challenge your mobility or balance mm. in, in some way. And that's it. And you can do that walking up your stairs, working in the garden, working in your living room. Like you don't even have to have dumbbells or elastic bands. If you do, that's great. It just makes it that much easier or that much. Um, and it fits more into our paradigm, I guess right now, but it's, it, we've overcomplicated it and we've sold it and packaged it and, and stuff so much that people really don't remember how to be fit without all of this external stimulus. And I, I think I used the example of my grandmother who lived to be 101 for, yeah. for one. And uh, she, she was uh, from the Ukraine and moved to Canada. I'm, I'm Canadian. And um, she she would have the things that that we hear in social media and that are just broadcast in terms of diet and exercise and stuff like that. If I ever said any of that stuff to her, she'd look at me like I was completely insane. <laughs> and yet she was still working in the garden at like 97 years old. She was still like puttering around doing all the things that she loved without going to the gym, without having a paleo diet, without mm -hmm. taking any supplements, without all this stuff that we think is part of the being well and being healthy and being fit. It's uh, and that's only two generations. Like she's my grandmother. Hmm. You know, it's so, it's so fascinating because I think now we're starting to come back to some of those things too, because like, for example, like you see, I'm just throwing this out there, but like earthing, right. Whatever you think yeah. about it, there's some science about it and it's like, okay, it kind of makes sense. I mean, people were around the earth all day and yeah. they were interacting with it. There's some social benefits of doing what they were doing. So there's all these like factors, like you said, that contribute to, let's say, you know, resilience and health and stuff like that. They have nothing to do with, with the exercise. It's, it's like we've isolated, like I saw this thing the other day. It was like a, I think it was a Facebook ad and it made me crack up because it was like, it literally was the example, the poster child of where we've come with our mentality, our mindset about fitness and exercise. It was like this machine and it reminded me of those joke commercials, like the six minute abs kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. this machine and it showed this like good looking, you know, young, like business guy, he comes on the machine and he, you know, he's like, putting his whatever coat down and he's looking all determined like he's going to conquer the day and then 
you know, he's on the machine sweating for like five minutes and he gets off and it's like, get a, a 45 minute workout in five minutes or something. It was something like this, you know, it's like a little yeah. bike that you put in your house. And I'm like, I'm like, that's not the point of working out though. Like yeah. if, if that's the point of your workout to, to literally just go and burn calories, like how unsatisfying is that? Like exercise yeah. and movement in general is part of life. Like it's, there's more to movement than just a number, which is very sad, you know, but I think we, we've kind of lost touch with that. Yeah, absolutely. The benefits of, of movement, not even exercise go so much farther and so much deeper. The, the calories that we burn are so insignificant compared to the other benefits that we get from, from just having full body movement throughout the day. Like everything from just having a clearer head to, I mean, it staves off depression, anxiety. It's, makes our, our bones stronger. It makes us able to breathe deeper. I, I was listening to Katie Bowman, a uh, biomechanist, put out a, a podcast this morning about the our ability to breathe and just the, the inspiratory and expiratory muscles that are used for, for breathing. And we like forget that that's a valuable thing to like way more valuable than having big biceps is having some good, strong lung capacity. And it doesn't take going to the gym to to do that it's just focusing on it and and keeping active but anyway i absolutely agree and just going back to your earthing comment i think that's a perfect example of the the things that have sort of come full circle but have also become packaged and become marketed instead of it's like like we used to just skip breakfast back in the old days but now it's intermittent fasting yeah <laughs> and we don't like i when i was growing up in edmonton alberta which is in the the northern part of of alberta or sort of middle part of alberta it's quite regularly minus 40 minus 50 kind of kind of weather in the winter time and we would stand and wait for the bus in in minus 40 but now it's called cryotherapy yeah i was gonna say now it's cold exposure <laughs> yeah and now you have to go to a special spa to go and get cold exposure instead That's of really just funny. like i mean just certainly if you live in southern california you're not able to just stand outside in the winter and get get that kind of blast but it's really just exposing yourself to the elements, like whether it's earthing, whether it's cold exposure or, or whatever, it's just getting out of our climate controlled, comfortable little boxes that we live in with our shoes on all day and sitting in a chair all day and, and really just exposing ourselves to, to the world. And lo and behold, there's a whole bunch of health benefits that, that come from doing that. Yeah, I mean, we evolved in adversity. It's, it's yeah. like we, we've tried to remove it and that's only resulted in like a very homogenous environment, which is totally not what we evolved with, right? Yeah, yeah. We've become very, very soft. I, again, like going back to the what's going on with the COVID um, lockdown and stuff, there's a lot of people who are very adversely affected, of course, like people who have lost their jobs and lost their businesses and, and things like that and, and lost their lives even. But for the majority of us, we're complaining about being told to stay home in our comfortable houses where we have Netflix and <laughs> internet and telephones and everything at our disposal. And we only have to go back to like the last world war. Uh, my my grandfather used to tell stories about the rationing that happened oh, during, yeah. during the war and they'd have two eggs for the entire family for a week. Like that was all they had. And if they broke one of them or lost one of them, then that was it. There was no getting, getting more like stories of digging through garbage and stuff. Like if the worst thing that's ever happened to us is we have to 
find a different Netflix show to watch because we burn through <laughs> our, our favorite shows. Well, uh, I don't think we can complain too much. And the, the softness that's come from, from our, I, and I'm not saying that we should shun all of this stuff. I think I just want to put things in perspective. I'm not, I'm not saying that we all need to go and live in a log cabin on top of a mountain because I like the 21st century. I, I like what we're doing, but putting it in context and realizing that there is, we don't have to package, we don't have to buy into the, the new version of all of this stuff. It's just getting back to our, our roots and just sort of realizing where we went wrong is, is an important thing to do. You know, I think we've, we've gotten out of touch with being able to listen to our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of it is like, I had an interesting experience with this whole quarantine stuff. I mean, obviously there's, to me, any kind of situation that's a challenge or crazy like this is always transformative. There's always a hidden transformation. If you, if you listen for it, if you look for it, there's always something there that's designed to take your consciousness to, to the next level. And in my particular case, I was actually planning to go back to the gym and you know, I had this whole plan, like I'm going to gain some muscle. I want to gain like 10 more pounds of muscle and all this stuff. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, like I'm in pretty good shape, especially from everything I do. Like I'm in, I'm in pretty good shape. And it just wasn't happening. Like with this whole Corona thing, you know, like obviously all the gyms are closed, you know, finances are, I'm not going to pay a personal trainer now for a six month plan to do this. And I started working out at home and, you know, I have a beautiful backyard. I have a beautiful neighborhood. I started just doing some pull-ups, push-ups, you know, being in the sun, stretching, doing jump rope. And I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm good. Like I'm this good. This feels good. This feels good. Like why, why I was first off. Another one thing I realized is like, you know, when you, whatever you work out, it's a series of behaviors and it's not just like, this is why a lot of people quit, I think. And you, you can tell me from your experience because you've coached a lot of people, but you know, it's like you, you shoot for the goal of like, okay, I'm going to like lose this many pounds or I'm going to gain this many pounds of, of muscle or something. But what people don't realize is it's not, the goal it's, are you willing to maintain that? Like what type of lifestyle or set of habits does this number reflect for you? Like if I'm going to weigh this much in my case, let's say I want to gain more muscle. Like I'm like, am I prepared to eat more and change my circadian rhythm to, to match that new goal? And I'm like, I don't really want to. Like what I eat right now, I'm actually, I've maintained my weight for literally the last 15 years. It hasn't changed. Like it's been, you know, so I'm like, my body is in a, in a homeostasis right now that it likes, it enjoys where it's at. So why would I push it for what, for my own vanity? Like I'm good, you know? So it really came down to realizing like, wow, I'm just being, it was just a remnant of, you know, wanting a little more of that ego to be boosted up a little bit. But I'm like, I'm actually, I feel good. I'm flexible. I'm lean. I'm, I'm strong. Like I'm all the characteristics of what you would say, you know, healthy body is like, it's there. So I have no need. And part of that was just being able to have time on my own. I don't think I would have ever come to that conclusion if I wasn't forced to be uh, on my own and interact with Mm. nature again. And, you know, so. Have some time to do some introspection. Yeah. But why do you think most people quit? I mean, like, that's one theory I have is that, you know, it's like they, they have a goal and then they get to that goal, but then it's like, they're not really prepared to change the habits and mindset that, reflect that goal. Yeah. Well, I see that as the, there's a bit of a disconnect, I guess. I think goals, like a goal, obviously I've done a bunch of marathons, a bunch of triathlons, and I coach people to do the same. And I think those are, are fun goals. They're, if you've got a 
burning desire to run 42.2 kilometers or 26.2 miles <laughs> no, all in one go, <laughs> then that's wonderful. And I'll, I'll help you do it. And I'll help you do it safely and, and without damaging Have yourself. Have you coached anybody to do an ultra, like a hundred? Yes. 100 I, well, uh, 50 mile. That's wow. the, the longest one that, God, that is insane. It is. It is. But as long as that is a goal and it's kind of like a bucket list kind of a thing and, mm-hmm. and people can, can view it as like, I just want to do this to, so I can say that I did it and then feel that accomplishment. And, and it's kind of like, like making a million dollars or making a thousand dollars or whatever your, your goal is having those short term goals. Well, that, that keeps life interesting. It's, it's something that we do to amuse ourselves. And, and we always have, I think as like the, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks had the Olympics like, mm. because the, there's something something that's in burning desire in, in humans to do those types of things. I don't know why, but, but I think that's, that's all right. As long as we can separate that from our identity or from our bigger objectives and that identity or the, those objectives are really for life. So when I get somebody that comes to me and says like, I need to lose weight, train me for a marathon. I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa. You're asking me to do two different things. Cause if you're going to lose weight by doing a marathon, what happens when the marathon's over? Yeah. You're going to gain the weight back, right? Or you're going to have to do another marathon and then another marathon and then another marathon and it'll never end. So we need, those are two different, different things. Cause obviously if you want to lose weight for health reasons and, or for mobility or whatever it happens. Yeah. Some to new be. identity that you're trying to create basically. Yeah. And usually people want to lose weight because they're, they're not comfortable with the, the way they, they feel or the way that they look and, or they're actually at health risk. And, and that's a, that's a great thing to, to address and to get under control. But that's, that is assuming a new identity. That's assuming a new way of living that you're not going to, there is no end there. It's, mm. it's something that's going to go on for, for the rest of your life. And I think we forget to ask that question. And then what, when we start doing these crazy things, like, like uh, even a ketogenic diet for most people, if they would start, if they stopped for a second and said, like, am I going to eat this way for the rest of my life? Like, am I <laughs> actually going to never have a pizza again or never have ice cream again? Or if I do, I'm, I'm going to beat myself up about it. I'm sorry to pick on ketogenic. I know it works for some people, but it, it is, it's just one of those extreme sort of things that a lot of people are buying into and they forget to ask the, and then what? Like, sure, ketogenic diet, carnivore diet, even Everything will you get will, a result in the short you term. You will lose right. weight, absolutely. <laughs> but then what? Yeah, <laughs> like doing signing up for the CrossFit gym and going to it five times a week and doing the the workout of the day every single every single day it will get you to a certain goal. But then what? Mm. And the and I don't mean to say that you shouldn't do those, but you need to separate them. We need to keep the the short term goals, those sort of bucket list things, those achievements, like you said, like putting on ten pounds of of muscle. Nothing wrong with that, but that's a short term goal that needs to be separate from what you want to, how you want to live your life, and how you're going to keep yourself healthy and fit and able long into like my grandmother when she's 97 still working in the yeah. garden like that uh, those extreme measures aren't what get you to that point it's the overall identity that that you assume as somebody who behaves a certain way lives their life in a certain way doesn't sit on the couch for six hours after sitting at their desk for eight hours after sleeping and riding in the car to and from work 
that's not going to get you there. And going to the CrossFit gym five times a week isn't going to undo that. We have to make a core fundamental change in how you're living your your day to day life in order to facilitate that sort of longevity and and mobility and and quality of life later into later into life anyway. Yeah, life is long, man. I mean, I think we forget that, and it's like I would rather have a long, healthy life where I'm flexible and you know I can move around and and do things that I want to do. Versus, you know, you see some of these guys I saw literally, I think like a couple of days ago, I saw some documentary on these two dudes in Brazil who I think they were, I don't know if it was the documentary was on steroids or I don't know what it was, but they were doing something. I mean, they were <laughs> injecting themselves and yeah. it was, it was just crazy because it was, it was like a reality show type of thing where they, they document these people who are, are pretty crazy. I mean, like their bodies they didn't do anything with their rest of their bodies. They were literally just injecting their arms. So they had these totally disproportionate arms where they were like, I mean, their arms were huge. They're almost like, I think as big as their head, it was just kind of wow. disgusting looking. <laughs> they weren't even proportionate or anything. And, and you could see them like so wrapped up with how they look, you know, and their image and their identity. Like you said, like their identity with this, where it's like, they have to like, Oh my God, like I got to like keep pumping this up. And it's like, mm -hmm. dude, First off, like you're reducing your lifespan drastically by all these different habits. So like, is it really worth it? You know, is, is it worth it to shorten your life? And like, if you can't, if you can't even take your own shirt off, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, That's, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm, I never want to yuck somebody else's yum as the right, saying goes. Yeah, but, but I think you're right when it impacts your life in such a drastic way or that your identity and your happiness is hinging on some superficial sort of a thing like the size of your biceps, then that indicates a, a dysfunction that probably isn't sustainable. How do or people wake up from that? Like, okay, let's say, cause I mean, look, we all have ego. I've had my own phase of ego and, and different things that I've transitioned through in the health world. Like I remember, gosh, must've been 12 years ago or something. I wanted to get laser hair removal on my chest. Mm -hmm. So I would look better with, you know, open chested shirts when I go compete, you know, on the floor. And it was, it ended so up you could give me some of that chest hair. We can <laughs> trade. Yeah. There's I'm barely, like, there's barely none of it left now, but man, I'll tell you, it was, it was, it was a real learning experience. I mean, it really hurt. And I'm like, this fucking hurts. And, and <laughs> it, it ended up bleeding to, they gave me this cream to put on my chest to like numb it. And I put too much on and it, Oh no. Like arrhythmia. Cause that kind of stuff seeps into wow. your bloodstream. Yeah. It's so it was, it was like, man, okay. Life just hit me and said, don't be stupid. You know? So for me, it had, it took getting to, to the point with like, I spent thousands of dollars on this stupid thing and I had a health issue to, to wake up and say, wait a minute are you just being like narcissistic here? Like what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know? So my point is how do like, how do you, you wake up somebody like that? Let, let's say they're coming in and it's obvious from their goals or, you know, even how do you help people get through the things you're creating? Like how do you help people change the mindset around their identity? Cause really the identity needs to change before the goals really. I mean, the goals are just a result of your identity, right? I mean, yeah. Yes and no. I think, um, well, to answer the question of how do, how do you get people out of that, out of that mindset? That's a, I mean, that's the big, big question. I mean, some people it's, they've built up this, 
we talk about ego defenses. Have you heard the term ego defenses? I have. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with it, but you can, you can talk uh, about it. As, as children, and this is how the theory goes, is that as children, we develop these defense mechanisms or ways of, of sort of protecting our status quo, mm. like protecting the beliefs that we are either raised with or that we adopted as, as youth and, and usually in our childhood or in adolescence, we're developing this way of viewing the world. And as we get, as we get older, things that, that start challenging that view or start to, to push against those deeply held beliefs, we push back against and we tend to and double down on them. And, and we have distorted, well, cognitive distortions is what they're referred to as, where we tell ourselves these stories or we latch on to social media has made this even, even easier to latch oh, on yeah. to other people who have similar views to us to reinforce those and and keep us safe and protect our, our status quo and i think a lot of those sorts of ego defenses and those learned behaviors from from childhood or from our upbringing do tend to sabotage us as we as we get older and until we learn how to actually break down and ask ourselves those questions like is this belief that i'm that i'm acting on right now is it actually serving me well so Maybe at some point somebody told you as a, as a child or adolescent that hairy men are gross or something like that, or like hairy chests are, are only for, I don't know, people, bad people, or I don't yeah. know like, what kind of stories. Somewhere some you. belief was formed. Yeah. Somebody was, you watched a movie where somebody was mocked for having a yeah. hairy chest or something. And so that belief was planted in, in your head and without even knowing it, you started to, to act with that belief of, I don't want to be the guy who was mocked in that movie, or I don't want to be the hairy chess guy. Mm. But then unfortunately it took uh, some serious, <laughs> <laughs> some serious stuff to actually make you go, wait a second, is this belief that hairy chested men are gross or whatever? Is this actually serving me well? Like, is this an actual concern for me? And you were able to answer that question of, of no, but, a lot of the time people don't, and this goes back to what you were talking about with introspection too, like this gift that we've been given of having some extra time on our hands and being alone for a lot of us too, to, to actually spend some time with our thoughts instead of just manically looking for somebody else to, to agree with us that hairy chests are gross. Like, oh yeah, okay, I found 10 people online that also said the same thing. Okay, well, Facebook um, makes it easy now. I mean, they pretty much yeah. have an algorithm to show. Well, there's a hashtag for everything. <laughs> I'm sure you could, I'm sure there's a hashtag gross hairy chest or something yeah, out there. Oh, that sure. you could. But, but yeah, I think we need to learn or relearn. And this is one of the things I I'm, I'm terrible you know, when you're learning something new and you, uh, you like you're learning how to nail a, uh, use a hammer and everything looks like a nail well, <laughs> because I'm, I'm deep in the cognitive behavior, um, therapy stuff right now. I'm just seeing everything as a, like, I want everybody to know about yeah. this now, but I do think that there is a certain amount of self-awareness that we don't get taught. Like we get taught how to balance our checkbooks. We get taught how to mm. name the, all the, well, I guess for you Americans, the, the presidents, I was going to say the prime ministers of throughout the years and all this kind of knowledge, but we don't spend a lot of time in school thinking about our own thoughts and looking at mm. our own beliefs. And, and I understand why it is a, it, it's a difficult thing and there's so many people object to like you can't teach my children that 
but mm-hmm. I really do think we're missing an opportunity to to teach people how to be a little more introspective and just looking at how their their thoughts, whether or not they're they're serving them well. Mm-hmm. We have people in the weight loss program and that weight loss program that I run that say, you know, I'm I'm the type of person who can't resist treats, and they just define themselves as that. It's like I have a sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. As if they can't control it. It's like, okay, done. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, now it's out of their control. So they don't have to justify it. (laughs) And that's one of those ego defenses I was talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I can't control myself around sweets. And Mm -hmm. people say that. And you're like, well, how is that possible? Like, you, like, you really, like, have you got some, are you missing part of your brain? Like, have you got, (laughs) what made you not be able to control yourself around sweets? Well, I just can't. Well, have you tried? Like, what, what have you tried? And look, and when we started, when we even change the way that people define themselves that way, instead of like, when I was, I, I first got into cognitive behavior therapy back in the early 2000s um, for a generalized anxiety disorder that I had. And I defined myself, I said, well, you know, I'm just an anxious person. Mm-hmm. And, and you will be an anxious person if you tell people you're an anxious person. But as soon as you start saying, you know, I have been, I have been an anxious person. I was an anxious child, but you know, I'm, I've been working on it and I'm, I'm a work in progress. And when you start to just change the language that you use around how you define yourself, you can start to, to make progress. And, and I think that sort of goes back to, to what we were talking about, like we're sort of circling back to the beginning of this conversation where you're asking how do people change that um, that type of behavior and break themselves out of that rut is to look at first how you define yourself, how you identify yourself to other people and see if that is serving you. And if that is somebody that you want to be moving forward, because a lot of the time we don't want to be that thing. And when we start um, James clear, the fellow who wrote atomic habits. Oh yeah. I love that book. I, I love one of his quotes. I'm not sure if it's his, but that's where I encountered it is every action that we take is a vote for the person that mm-hmm. we want to become. And that is, that's a perfect example. Like every time you say like, I'm somebody who can't resist sweets or I'm, I, I, think that hairy chests are gross or whatever you're Mm -hmm. voting for the person that you want to become. So just changing that language and changing that behavior just on a, on a small level like that can, can really make a big difference to move yourself towards a healthier, happier, more um, open-minded, I guess, type of person. What do you think about discipline? I mean, or motivation? Let's, let's, let's talk about motivation because motivation, I think we were so over-reliant on this word and especially in the fitness realm you just got to be motivated man you just got to push through it and and it's like i think there's more to it than than how it's being marketed as like the only resource available i think there's a lot more important things to longevity and keeping a habit than just being motivated yeah yeah motivation is kind of a dirty word in my in my world, that and willpower, those are the, the two things that are vastly overrated. And, and another excuse that people make for themselves is like, I don't, I don't I have just, motivation. I don't have the motivation. I just don't have the willpower to get that done. It's like, okay, well, fuck willpower and motivation. Yeah. Man. And let's, let's figure out how to make it happen in another way. Now you look at some of the, some of the lead athletes in the world and, and people I've worked with, people I've interviewed, um, I, uh, uh, Catherine Devistarter, I'm not saying that correctly. She's Icelandic and she taught me how to say her name, but I'm, I think I'm still butchering it. They got some uh, crazy names over there, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I, her, uh, 
her English is impeccable, but when she started speaking any Icelandic stuff, I was just like, oh, that sounds so cool. I would love to go to Iceland. That's, that's yeah. on my bucket list. Yeah. But um, we were talking about how, how she stays motivated. And, and um, I think a lot of people look at professional athletes and they think that they just leap out of bed every morning with all the motivation <laughs> and all the willpower in the world and, and stuff. And that's how they get their workouts done and they nail everything and stuff. And it's like, no, it's just what they do. Like, it's just the same way that we have to go to work to pay our bills and, and collect the, the paycheck and, and balance the checkbook and buy groceries so we don't starve to death and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just another thing that they do. And as soon as you start to, to realize that and start to factor it into your life, like every morning when I wake up, I don't, it's not a question of, will I work out? The question is, what am I going to do for my workout today? Because if it's a sunny day, maybe I'll go out for a run or a bike ride outside. If it's, if it's snowing, then maybe I'll stay, stay inside and lift some weights and stuff. But it's not a question of, will I do it? It's a question of what will I do? Because it's just part of my life. Yeah, it's like eating. You're not going to say, well, yeah. will I eat today? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exactly like eating actually. Yeah. It's, I'm not, not deciding if I'm going to have lunch. It's what, what am I going to have for lunch? Mm. And that takes away the, the need for motivation or, or willpower, but there definitely is a transition between like somebody who really struggles to, to get any sort of movement or exercise into their, into their life and I think one of the biggest barriers there is that we've been in school, we sort of exercise as a little bit of punishment. Like we've been, mm -hmm. we've run laps if you've been, if you've been bad or you're forced to do these types of workouts. Or on the other hand, like some people don't enjoy running. Now, personally, mm -hmm. I think they're crazy, but <laughs> some people don't enjoy running. Some people don't enjoy riding a bike. Some people hate going to the gyms. Uh, so when I say, well, like, what do you enjoy? They're like, oh, I don't enjoy exercising. Okay, well, what have you tried? Well, I don't like running. My knees get sore. I'm like, okay, well, what else have you tried? Well, I don't like going to the gym because it's it, it's noisy and people are judging me. Like, okay, well, what else have you tried? Mm -hmm. And that's usually it. So like, it comes down to like, I don't like lifting weights. I don't like running. So I don't exercise. As and if we, those were the only two ways to exercise. <laughs> yeah, we sort of we've forgotten that going out and throwing the frisbee around with with some friends that's exercise. That going to a dance class that's exercise. Going out dancing, you don't even have to go to a class; you just go and and dance. That's a wonderful way to exercise. Go for a walk. Walking is the most amazing thing we can walking. do for our bodies and our minds. <laughs> yeah. Every time I want to get an idea, I just go for a walk, man. It's like, yeah. it's literally, it's crazy. Like your brain just, there's something about being, I think there's actually a principle. Maybe you can tell me what it is, but there's something about when you are in an irregular environment that your brain switches into the creative mode because it's like trying to put the patterns together. Like when you're out in nature, for example, everything's irregular. Like it's, there's trees, mm -hmm. bushes all over the place. So, so your analytical brain shuts off because it, it's not, you know, measurable. It's not like a cube or anything like that. So your creative brain kicks in and you're just more in tune with like your intuition and stuff. So literally you're just changing your environment switches your brain you know, automatically when you walk, especially it's, I love taking walks. I try to yeah. walk like every day if I can. There's a 
thousands of year history of, of the greatest minds and the greatest thinkers. Oh, yeah. All the walking. authors. <laughs> yeah. Authors, inventors, even everybody up to like Steve Jobs. But there was a, I was in Japan a couple of years ago and there was like the, the poets walk along this one canal that we went on. And I wasn't inspired to write Japanese poetry, but I sure loved it and understood why people flocked there. But it's yeah, my walking is just one of those one of those amazing things. And if you can do it in surrounded by some sort of nature, like even if it's just a few trees, even there was a study that was done where they put photos of nature in front of people who are walking on treadmills mm. and measured their like serotonin, um, cortisol, dopamine, and and things like that to see how their body was reacting to it. And even just having pictures of nature, it wasn't as good as being in nature, but even that was better than, than staring at a blank wall or, or a brick wall or a metal wall and stuff. So, and scents too, they've used um, uh, like aromatherapy, essential oils and mm. stuff. And the, the ones that incorporate like the smell of spruce or fir, like tree kind of earthy kind of smells also just, blood pressure drops, heart rate drops, wow. cortisol levels drop. Like we, we are, there's, there's a part of our brain, a part of our biology that still knows that we belong in nature. Hmm. And, and through modern science, we can bring that closer to us, but it's not, it's never as good as actually being around nature. So yeah, if you can, those are the, those are the things, but, but getting back to what we were talking about, sort of before we, we strayed in terms of just getting, um, breaking through that barrier to get some, some exercise. If you're one of those people that really struggles with, with getting exercise, just cast off that, those shackles that you've put on yourself in terms of what is and what isn't exercise and start looking for things that you do enjoy. Because if you force yourself to do something you don't enjoy, it's like we were talking about earlier with the, and then what, like, mm. sure, you can, you can force yourself to go for a run. Maybe you'll last like those run streaks that people go on. It's like, maybe you'll last 30 days, maybe you'll last 60 days, but it's always going to be like, maybe you'll decide that you actually enjoy it. But if you don't decide that you enjoy it and it doesn't become something pleasurable, then you're never going to keep it up. So instead of trying to rely on willpower and motivation to make you go out and do something you don't enjoy, find something that you actually do enjoy, like whether that's surfing or going for a walk or dancing. They say that the best workout is the one that you stick to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's not, and again, it's not, you don't stick to it because of willpower and because right. of motivation, you stick to it because you enjoy it and because it feels good and it's fulfilling mm. and it doesn't have to be at the gym and it doesn't have to involve any fancy spandex outfits or fancy shoes or anything. It's just getting that body moving in some way that makes you feel good. I'll tell you one thing. I, in my own experience, I've had a huge transformation in my perspective on discipline and motivation. And maybe you can share what, what yours is, but one thing, cause I used to be all about like, okay, I need to get more discipline, you know, all this same stuff. Like you got to just push it type a. And what I realized is, you know, what we see and observe as disciplined behavior or motivation or, you know, people who have strong willpower, all that stuff is really a secondary effect of something deeper, which is, mm. in my opinion, a very deep sense of why am I doing something? Mm. You know, like if I'm, if I have a strong why, like emotionally, if I believe what I'm doing, if I'm enjoying it, it's fulfilling, if, you know, if, if it's really heart driven, 
you know, nobody has to tell you, if you're excited about something, nobody has to tell you to wake up in the morning to check your Christmas presents or whatever, you know, like <laughs> you have plenty of motivation, you know, so motivation is really, I think that the problem is that people see motivation as like this quality that they have to have and somewhere out here and you just have to like channel in, you got to get more of it, but really it's something that happens if you have a really strong internal belief or a sense of why am I doing this, then you're going to be disciplined. Like you will find a way to do it and get the results and continue and maintain and grow. So I don't know what you think about that, but that's a, that's an awesome point. Wonderful, wonderful point. I mean, there've been a lot of books written about finding your why and, and, mm. and stuff like that. And um, I interviewed Joe DeSena, the fellow who started the Spartan races. Oh, wow. His new, uh, his new, or I guess it's not new anymore. His book that came out maybe a year and a half ago or so. Um, he talks about your why being like the North star mm. that whenever you lose your way, you can rely on the North star to put you back on, on course. If you're <laughs> some sort of navigator or something, I wouldn't yeah. work for me, but, <clears throat> but you understand that's the analogy. And I think that's a, that is exactly what you're talking about, having that why, having that reason, having that deep-seated desire to, to reach one of these things. But I think a lot of people's whys are either superficial or they're not their own. Like We get told by a lot of people that we should be doing this or we should be more inspired to do that or we should get in shape or eat better or, or whatever, whether it's the doctor or your mother or friends or social media or something telling you and we go, okay, yeah, I guess probably should, but we don't take the time or, or some people don't take the time to really identify with that and, and internalize it and find the reason for you that that's important because you're never going to succeed if it's, if you're doing it for somebody else, mm. you'd have to love that person more than, more than yourself really to, to do it for somebody else. And that's a whole different um, issue right there. But but I think you're absolutely right. It's got, you've got to have a deep seated reason to want to achieve that goal or want to live that life or achieve that identity. And it has to be yours as well. That's one of the, one of the main, the main, I hate to use the word motivators, but if you're, yeah, I mean, for sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's a, a wonderful point. I'm glad you brought that up. What do you think about these? You, you mentioned like, keto and uh, intermittent fasting and stuff. Do you do any of that? What, what do you think when it comes to diet? Cause that's a big impact on overall. I mean, I think mindset reflects everything from exercise to diet, you know, and having that, like what we talked about with identity and, and mindfulness, all that stuff is so important to fix. But if we're looking at, let's say having a healthy body exercise, I think they, you can correct me on this, but last time I checked into it, like you only need to exercise what, like 30 minutes, three times a week to get 80% of the benefits. So, you know, you don't have to exercise that much compared to the impact of your diet, right? Like, would you say diet has a bigger impact on your overall health than the amount of exercise you do or? Dedicated exercise time. Yes. Yeah. I think we all need to get more, more movement into our day. Like we need to be more, more mobile. The yeah. invention of ergonomics was one of the worst things we could have done for ourselves. We, <laughs> we've created ways to stay sedentary and not More change our body geometry for longer periods of time where we should have been inventing an ejector seat that would kicked us out of it every 
that's 60 minutes. So we had to go and move around. That's the solution. Isn't to create a more comfortable chair. The solution was to mm. not rely on the chair so much. Um, so, so yeah, I, I agree. The, I think sleep, stress, and diet are the three things that we, well, maybe diet we're so focused on only for weight loss. We don't think right. of it in terms of, of sort of the health, the, yeah, the bigger picture of how healthy we are, how well we think, how well we perform, all that. It's always about losing weight mm. or putting on muscle for some of the people in the audience. Um, but yeah, so so dedicated exercise time can can go out the window. But yeah, the diet stuff, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I, I heard him say one time that if you go into a bookstore and you want to find a book on gravity, like the theory of gravity, mm -hmm. there may be two books on gravity because it's figured out. We know how gravity works. We we know enough about gravity to say like, this is it. So there's two books, one and both of them are hundreds of years old. And they define gravity and you can read that book and be like, yeah, got it. Okay, gravity. But walk into the, the health, wellness, fitness, diet section of a bookstore and there are thousands upon thousands of books. And he takes that as a, as a sign that we haven't figured it out yet, mm. that, that there is no one answer. And I completely agree. I think the, the fact that there are so many different diets out there just just drives the point home that, I mean, I, I live in Canada in the, the northern part of, of Canada where the Inuit live. Obviously, they don't have fresh fruit. They don't have fresh vegetables. They live off of seal blubber and whale Yeah, I was going to say, don't they eat off like fat mostly? Yeah, yeah. So they're that's like, crazy. they're eating a ketogenic diet because hmm. that's the way they've eaten for thousands of years and that's what's available. Hmm. Even now, it, it is so expensive to get, like even in Alaska, like you don't even have to go as far far north as like Nunavut, even in parts of Alaska, just getting fresh fruit and vegetables and stuff is you can do it, but it's really expensive, wow. prohibitively expensive. So, and then you go to the, the opposite. I was seeing the Amazon a couple of years ago in, in Peru and they've got abundance of that kind of stuff, but they don't have maybe some of the, the meats and the fats and things that, mm. that we do here. And yet humankind for 200,000 years, since we transition from the Neanderthal or whatever the, the last one was. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a paleontologist, so I shouldn't speak too much, but it's been at least 200,000 years that we've been this version of, of humans. And we have flourished all over this planet and we've become the apex predator and the, probably the, the doom of this planet. <laughs> We're probably going to wreck it too. But that just tells me that there is no one diet. We need mm. to experiment as individuals, not just as, as cultures, but as individuals experiment with our diets until we find what works for us and what, what keeps us not only at the weight that we want to be, but also keeps our mind sharp and keeps our vision good and keeps our bones strong and keeps our brain functioning the way we want it to. And, and all of that, um, all of that good stuff beyond just losing some weight or putting on some muscle and that takes experimentation. And I think a lot of the time we get so hung up on trying to find the perfect diet that we forget that we can do that on our own. Like we can, we have the ability to, for instance, say, uh, people like to eat oatmeal for breakfast. I've tried eating oatmeal for breakfast. First of all, I don't like the way it tastes. Second, it leaves me hungry right away. Like within two mm. hours, I'm hungry again. And, and I feel kind of farty and bloaty when I have it. So mm. 
that's not right for me. And I could spend a whole bunch of money on supplements and digestive enzymes and things like that to try to, to force my way into being an oatmeal eater, or I could just experiment with something else. And so I've tried um, right now, I, I tend to keep some rice and quinoa in the fridge. So I'll make it in batches and keep it in the fridge. And I'll, I have that with some yogurt and some sort of berries or, or something on it. And that works really well for me, hmm. but I'm not going to go out and try to convince you, for example, that that's the, the breakfast that you should be eating. If you want to try it, give it a, give it a shot. But I think, yeah, it's, it, there is no one diet. There is no one s- set way that we should be eating. We know that fast food is bad and we know that packaged food is, is not right. That's a universal truth, but I think it's more about the things that you don't do for the most part, like the the things you do, it seems like those have a bigger impact. Like don't eat trans fats, you know, don't eat fast food, you know, don't drink energy drinks all day. I mean, there's just so many don'ts that I think if you, as long as you don't do those for the most part, you'll be, you'll be okay. You know, and sometimes the don't is what you put in place of it rather than what you're not eating. It's mm. like if you're not having the energy drink, then maybe you'll, you're drinking more water. So it's a, a, I, I don't like to label foods as good or bad. I mean, yeah. again, there is no <laughs> McDonald's is not, I mean, we can, we can pretty <laughs> safely say that that's a bad food, <laughs> but grains, like all the things that there are, diets out there right now that are telling us not to eat vegetables and, and stuff because they're yeah, I don't know about and- that carnivore diet, man. I mean, I don't really have a diet myself. I have principles that I go by. I've mm. read a lot of different books. I, most notably recently, I read something called intuitive eating. I don't know if you've mm. read that book. No, That's a really pretty groundbreaking book. I guess it's, it was a pretty big deal a couple of years ago, but it was just all about listening to your body and, yeah. um, all this stuff that we're talking about right now, it's just this mindset and really it's about healing your relationship to food. And I interviewed a gal. Yeah. You got to check it out. It's, it's a really good book. Anybody who's listening, go read intuitive eating by Elise something. I don't have the name Hmm. right now, but uh, it's, there's only one book called intuitive eating, but I had heard about it from another gal that I interviewed on my show and she had brought up the distinction between there's eating disorder that we all know, like bulimia and, you know, anorexia and all these things. But then you have disordered eating and that opened up a whole umbrella of, you know, and that's what this whole book is about is really like learning to listen to your intuition and what your body wants to eat that day rather than forcing a plan and all these different things because you're basically, you're learning to listen and operate more from what your body wants and the signals and cues that it's giving you so that it can do what it needs to do rather than trying to force something on it. And because when you force something on it, you go into a disordered eating pattern and that could be anywhere from calorie counting to having some sort of anxiety about, I need to eat only this type of food, you know? And so that relationship to your food and to your eating, uh, you know, they, they go on to explain how it creates all kinds of problems, but that was, that was a big wake up call for me too with dieting. I mean, like, okay, like there's certain principles I go by, you know, that guide my behavior, but I'm, I don't really have a diet. I do. I mean, I tried the keto stuff. I tried intermittent fasting for a while, but with intermittent fasting, it was tough, dude. Like, I mean, in the morning, I usually practice for two and a half hours of high intensity dancing. And 
it's tough. Like you, I can't just have, you know, I was eating MCT oil just to, to your point about how it affects everything, everybody differently. I was eating the whole bulletproof coffee thing in the morning and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to have fat for fuel. You know, in my mind, you had all these little logical constructs that you create based on the things you read. But in practice, it's very different. Everybody's different. And I did some reading because I was getting hungry. I was getting really hungry. I did some reading and MCT oil in some people can actually induce hunger because it stimulates certain like your hunger hormone and, and certain peptides in your nervous system that kind of channel your body to get hungrier. So I'm like, well, that didn't really work for me. And I, I need something in the morning with all this high intensity training. Like I'm just wrecked. You know, I don't have the energy to do what I need to do. So that didn't work. I'm like, why am I starving myself? Like in my mind, I'm like, Oh, you know, it's all these logical benefits you have in your mind, but you know, it's like, is that really what your body wants? Is your, does your body need to be starving every day for 16 hours? Like that doesn't work with what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it, it's interesting. I mean, I think like you said, you need to experiment, which is important. I think you need to be willing to try different things and, and see what works for you. But do you personally have any principles that you go by in your own diet that have worked for you? I, I think I'm, I'm right in alignment with what you were just saying where I try to it's funny, as children were, were brought up again, going back to those, those sort of ego defenses and the way that we're mm. programmed as kids, like we're told as children that donuts are good and vegetables suck. Like don't eat, the, you have to be forced to eat vegetables, otherwise you, you shouldn't eat them. But if there's a donut nearby or a cheeseburger and a cheeseburger has to have fries and it. a milkshake <laughs> and like everything just sort of gets programmed in like through the cartoons we watch, the, the commercials that come on and it got even worse in like the 80s and, and later when, when advertising just became so, so prevalent. So we get programmed with these ideas of what is good and what, what isn't and what goes together and what you, you eat as a boring adult or what you eat as a fun loving. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the, my, my guiding principle in the last, I want to say probably 10 years, like probably a little later in life than I should have figured it out was to actually challenge those beliefs. Like mm. it wasn't even that long ago, maybe about five or six years ago. Uh, my, my partner and I went out for, for lunch. I ordered a burger and fries and she said, why do you always get the fries? You don't like fries. Like, what are you talking about? I don't like fries. And she's like, well, you never eat your fries. Like you always, you order fries and then you have like three of them and then they just sit on your plate. And then I eat some of them because they're <laughs> getting cold, but stop buying fries. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't like Light fries. <laughs> holy shit like what wow. a paradigm change like and and i just i think we don't spend enough time doing that kind of introspection again man mm. we talked about introspection a lot um but that sort of realization of like and i had the same realization about donuts when i worked at i was working at a big financial firm for for a little while and people would go on fridays they'd always bring in the donuts for the cupcakes or whatever and the first couple of times they came by the desk, I was like, yeah, I took the donut. And then like, you know what? I don't like donuts. I don't like, like the way social eating. Feel. You were basically just eating out of social expectancy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I, it was my stomach kind of hurt and I get kind of sleepy after the sugar rush would wear off. And I'm like, this is not worth it. Mm -hmm. So I started saying no to the, to the donuts. And I became the guy in the office who doesn't eat donuts, which is kind of a fun, like going back to that whole identity thing that we were talking about earlier, mm. like, going from like somebody who obliged by eating, eating socially because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feeling to actually identifying and being identified as the guy who doesn't eat donuts. Well, that made it easy. 
Like I, they didn't mm-hmm. even offer me the donuts after that was a while. Part of your identity at that point, was, like you, yeah. So you the didn't need choice motivation. was made. <laughs> yeah, willpower and motivation gone. I'm the guy who doesn't eat donuts. So like sometimes mm-hmm. they go by my desk with the donuts and sort of give me a look like you're not going to have this, are you? And I'd be like, no, I'm not going to have this. So, and it wasn't because I was some superhuman willpower machine. It just I had that aha moment of, you know what? I don't enjoy that flavor enough to warrant the way that I feel later on. Hmm. And obviously all the other stuff that's going on, the storm of insulin release and and, uh, and all the other, the sugar rush and the dopamine release and all of that kind of stuff that's going on in, in my body. That aside, I just didn't like it enough to, to actually indulge. So spending, I, I think, that has guided my diet more than than anything in the last ten or so years, and that's what I try to teach in um, in the Weight Loss Program. And actually, I want to let your listeners in on yeah. I have a seven day um, mindset reset, we call it, and it's part of the the Weight Loss Program, um, or it's sort of an introduction to it. But in that in that seven day reset, we sort of set the stage for breaking that dieter's mentality of either like needing the willpower, needing the motivation, and and stuff, and really starting to listen to to your own intuition and your own body, challenge those beliefs of like donuts are good and vegetables are bad, and oh yeah, stuff like that. And yeah, I, that's really where where my diet's at at, at this point. It's interesting because if you listen to your body, I think if you really heal that relationship with food, I think you really dig that book intuitive eating because it's yeah, right up. Yeah, it's exactly check it out. what you're doing. I think you'll, you'll really jive with it. But if you listen to your body, one thing like I've noticed in my own, I've been doing what I'm doing now as far as my diet for a while, as far as what I eat. And I don't even crave like nasty stuff. I used to, you know, it's funny because your body, your body knows what it wants, but you also have to, like respect it because it's trying its best to get energy and survive and create energy for you in all ways. And when you are so depleted of nutrients and toxic and all these different things that are happening to us these days, the body's just wanting more and more energy. That's why we crave these crappy foods, you know, but when you start feeding it good food, I, I don't really crave like people will put a donut in front of me. Like I'm just like, Ooh, and I used to love donuts in college. I mean, I was eating like crap in college, but I remember we'd go to Krispy Kreme late at night because they would get rid of all their donuts. Oh, no. <laughs> that was the highlight of my Friday night, man. I would go to Krispy Kreme with my friends and get one of these cases of donuts and milk, just nasty shit, you know, and like... <laughs> Now I look back, I'm like, God, how could I eat that? But you know, at the time it was like, it would get cravings for that stuff. And now you put that in front of me, I'm just like, literally no response. I'm not even, there's nothing attracting me to that. So I think you can program your body. But what you said about programming is really telling because I remember I was in a plane flight recently, a couple weeks or a month ago, actually. And I hadn't actually looked at, you know how they have those little, TVs in the back of the yeah. the chairs yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'm bored, whatever. Let me fucking kill some time here. And I was watching whatever programs were on there. And, and, you know, they had these commercials during these programs and it was like watching TV again. I haven't watched TV in, pff, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And yeah. 
And it was shocking to me, man, just the amount of programming, especially when it comes to food, food and like pharma, like pharmaceuticals. Yes. Especially in America, you guys oh are obsessed God, with, your, with your medications. It was crazy. And like the, the food commercials were just like in your face. Like here's some food porn. Look at this pizza. Yeah. Like it's just dripping. Look how it's big so- it is. <laughs> it's always the size too. It's always being yeah, sold on I'm the like, size. I don't even eat that stuff. But I'm like, wow, I'm kind of actually craving a pizza now. What the hell? You know, like it, so it was a real wake up call for me because it's like, man, even though I don't eat that shit, the amount of programming and the science that goes into making these angles perfect for your brain uh, to trigger that desire. It's just, it's scary. It's really, yeah. and if you don't have the knowledge and the awareness, you just, oh, like, oh, okay, I'm just going to order some dominoes now or order some whatever. And then you just kind of, you're at the effect of everything else around you. You're not in charge of your, your life. Yeah. You know? The food science is a, is a really evil thing that has come along. Like people who actually specialize in triggering the parts of our brain that make us not, you, I bet you can't eat just one. That's somebody <laughs> that, actually sat down. Once you and pop, you don't stop or whatever. What's that? Yeah. Uh, Pop tarts or Pringles. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's Pringles, but anyway, that's mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really, it's the crimes against humanity comes to mind mm-hmm. for those scientists that actually spend that kind of time, and get paid the money to develop foods that aren't built on nurturing or nourishing our bodies, but built on how many can, or how addicted can we make people to it? It's like Facebook. I mean, Facebook have entire, the dedicated teams that just make it more and more appealing to keep scrolling and spend more time on the website, not get more information to you or, or actually make you happy, just keep you on the website so we can feed you more advertising. Hmm. The, the science is, is just evil. But I wanted to say one thing about, I, I think sometimes the message gets a little, when we say things like, or when I hear people say, or I hear myself saying like, I don't get cravings anymore. And like, I've broken through all of that. I know, I don't want the wrong message to get out. Like I, hmm. I still eat, bad stuff sometimes. I still drink beer when I want a beer. I still indulge in having that, having some ice cream when it's an appropriate time. The, the key is to have a sensible amount of that indulgence. And I always say like indulging is fun. Overindulging isn't over fun. It isn't Mm -hmm. more fun. Yeah. So and I talk about my grandmother a lot. She's just, she's sort of the role model for, for the way that I, I want to live my life in terms of movement. And, and Oh, Hey man, if you lived 101, <laughs> I mean, that's a great, and I used to cut role we'd, model. We'd cut pieces of pie after, after dinner to like a regular size piece of pie, like just a, a reasonable amount. And she'd always cut it in half and, and she'd eat it so slowly. And sometimes she'd even mm fridge and have some the next day. And we're always like, grandma, what are you doing? She's like, well, I had enough. And I think that is, that is a real lesson right there is just knowing when you've had enough mm-hmm. because they, even the food scientists that we were, we were talking about, they know there was a, an article in the, it was in the New Yorker a few years ago where they talked about how the, when you eat a chocolate bar, like if you buy, say, a Mars bar. Do you guys have Mars bars? Snickers bar, let's say. Mars owns, I think, all that stuff. So, sure. yeah, it's the same company. But, yeah, we have Snickers. Anyway, and, yeah. yeah, so you're, you're having a Snickers bar. So the biggest hit of dopamine happens when you decide to have the chocolate bar. 
Mm-hmm. When, when you've committed and you're holding it in your hands and you're going to open it, you're, that's when the biggest hit of dopamine is released or you've decided you're going to have an indulgence. First bite, there's a little bit more. Second, a little bit less. Third, a little bit less. And then it almost flatlines after mm-hmm. that. So we're actually not getting in when you put somebody in F- fMRI, the, what do they call it? The wonder machine, the mm-hmm. brain activity re- reacts the same way. So when you decide you're going to eat the, the, the candy bar, you're told you can eat it. Lots of brain activity. First bite, lots of brain activity. And then it's less and less. And by the time you get to the middle of the, the candy bar or the, the treat, whatever that happens to be, everything is basically stopped. You're not getting any more pleasure from it. Like there's no evident pleasure in your hormones or in your brain activity. We're just eating it because it's there because it, the chocolate bar is this big. So you eat this much chocolate bar. If we're like my grandmother and you actually are in tune with your, with like where the, the pleasure drops off, you put the rest in the fridge and you leave it for another time. And then she gets to have more when the rest of us are done our pie and we're all bummed because we don't have any more pie. She can pull her pie out of the fridge and, and eat a little bit more of it and get that, that same pleasure again when we're wasting our pleasure by eating it all at once. That's fascinating. So, so I don't want the wrong message to get out that you never can indulge and you never can have. Yeah, absolutely. Like having it at the appropriate time, like taking that moment to say like, do I actually really want this right now? We used to have a rule. Uh, I worked at, a, at another place that we, we, were, we had the war room set up. We were building a website and we're all like in, in this room and people would come by with treats for us because we were working these long hours and stuff. And after a few days of having too many treats in the room, I said, okay, everybody, we got to make a pact. One treat per day. We're each allowed one treat per day. And everybody's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And <laughs> So what that did was make us like, look at whatever was brought in, like somebody would bring in ice cream sandwiches or something and look at it and go, you know what? Not good enough. Mm. I don't want my one treat to be that ice cream sandwich. I'm going to wait for something better. Later in the day, somebody comes in with fresh baked um, chapatis and like that, that's a worthy treat. (laughs) I'm having Tina's chapatis because those are amazing. But often at the end of the day, be like, shit, I didn't have my treat because you get picky about which treat you want to have Interesting. to the point where it's like, well, that's not worthy. That's not worthy. That's not worthy. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I didn't even have a treat today. And lo and behold, I didn't die or starve to death or anything. But, but it is when it's worth it, when it's good enough, when it's something you're really anticipating, having that, eating it mindfully, enjoying the hell out of it, realizing at the point when you're not enjoying the hell out of it anymore and then stopping. That's really where the, the happiness comes in. And that's where, where we should be looking at our treats and, and our indulgences and those things that we get cravings for. It's not about never having it again or being so stoic that you don't need to, to give yourself pleasurable foods. It's about knowing when it's appropriate and eating an appropriate amount of it or drinking an appropriate amount of it or indulging in that moment or whatever it happens to be to the point where you stop experiencing pleasure and then think, okay, I'm done. That's, that's good enough. Yeah. It just comes back to the same old principles, man. Just being mindful, listening to your body and respecting those messages. I think so many times when we go against what we feel, you know, what we intuitively, our bodies are telling us, that's when we, that's when we really enter like stress and disease and all these different areas. It's really those misalignments between the messages that we have and what we decide to do with them. 
and just being completely oblivious to to our actions too and doing yeah. things because it's it's become a programmed habit like so many people have trouble with snacking in front of the tv mm. and we know that you don't get pleasure from snacking in front of the tv it's just a habitual ritual or movement that you're you're going through it's not satisfying it's not sustaining it's it's not doing anything other than just filling some sort of void and a lot of that goes back to some like psychological reason that you're trying to you're eating to fill whatever x y and z hole or or sadness or boredom mm-hmm. or whatever and that's not what food is for we and when we can break the the association between those two activities, you can start to, well, bring mindfulness to it. Like I always say, if you're going to have a treat, you better enjoy the hell out of it. Like, yeah. What's tune the point of it. having right. yeah. <laughs> Don't have your favorite piece of pie while you're also watching TV and checking mm. social media because, well, then you just wasted that pie. <laughs> yeah, you got I, all the I cost, none of the benefits. Oh, me too. Yeah, what's your yeah. favorite kind of pie? Uh, right now, I think blueberry. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a blueberry nice, phase. Nice. Although we still have some blueberries frozen from uh, from last fall, so that's probably why. Because I think apple pie is my favorite, just like a warm <sighs> classic, <laughs> yeah. cinnamon, just fresh. Oh God, yeah, man, I want to go get some pie now. You got me. See, you programmed me early, little. And there's uh, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> have an appropriate amount of pie, enjoy the hell out of it, and then put it away. Oh man, that's funny. You got anything exciting coming up? Um, actually, doing a workshop, a stress eating workshop on uh, Ooh, November twenty. Nice. 20- or November, April 23rd. Nice. I guess on the 23rd. Let me make Yeah, sure. this interview will probably publish in August or so. I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's, um, I mean, it's a big topic right now with all the, the COVID stuff going on. Oh, sure. Yeah. Feeling. Everybody's quarantined their house and all the, and, all the negative habits that we have are coming out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're aware of them for the first time too. So mm, it's a really, it's the perfect opportunity. Again, like we talked about at the beginning, it's a perfect opportunity to, to really put some practices and, and processes into place to systems into place to, to manage those and, and be aware of them. So, so I'm really excited about, about that. That's one of my, uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. That's awesome, man. One more question for you, buddy. What are you most grateful for today? Today? What am I most grateful for today in particular? Actually, you know, it's an easy one. I'm trying to look for something something difficult. I'm grateful for having the technology and having the um, the ability to connect with somebody like you. Thanks, man. And, and I'm, I'm <laughs> grateful that you actually just you reached out with a very simple question about heart rate variability and, uh, and it turned into a longer conversation and now we're actually speaking face-to-face. Well, yeah, isn't that funny enjoy. how just one thing leads to another? It's, just, it's crazy. We live in such a small world where you can literally message anybody <laughs> and, yeah. and have a conversation. That's really cool. Yeah, when I feel like if it's an authentic um, message too, like you, you reached out with a with proper person to person kind of message. So you can in the world filled with spam and (laughs) and people (laughs) wanting something all the time, it's easy to just get like delete, delete. But when you reach out with an authentic question as a, as a human to a human, it's uh, it's so refreshing. Are you still, uh, are you wearing the aura ring right now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, I still use it. I mean, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, yeah, I, I don't try to ascribe too much meaning to any measurement. I do a lot of measuring with tests and stuff, but I, 
I've learned through that whole process to kind of just use it as a reference and along with things that you feel and listen to. So yeah, it's an interesting tool. I mean, yeah. And that's a great way to look at it too, is it's just a tool. Yeah. A tool that we can use for, for certain things, but it's not, not everything I worked for. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I worked for, for Bulletproof, the the company that makes the Bulletproof coffee. Oh yeah. I think I saw something about that. You were on the Bulletproof. Yeah. I was, I was on the team for six years and just, just recently stepped away. And part of my job was actually going to Vancouver Island and recording podcasts and shooting videos and stuff with Dave Asprey, the, the founder. So while I was there, got to use all the, fancy toys and do this. I saw that picture of the 40 years of Zen, man. That's Mm. crazy. How was that? That was, that was truly life changing. Hmm. And, and I say it with a a bit of hesitation in my voice because I don't want to sell the fact that you have to spend, I mean, the program was expensive, right? $30,000. I didn't pay for it. I I did work in exchange. Um, Otherwise there's, I, I can't, I can't afford that. Yeah, (laughs) I'd love to be able to afford that because it really is a meaningful thing to do for yourself, but it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have the electrodes. You don't have to have all the CG and the, all the fancy gizmos and gadgets and stuff. What, What really was the, the true benefit from that was giving myself the gift of five full days to just think about myself and my place in the world and where, where I am today where I want to be, where I came from, what my hangups are. Like it really giving yourself the gift of just spending some time thinking about yourself and nothing else for five days was life changing. Yeah. And then all the other stuff on top of it was just like the food was amazing. And the, the counselors that we worked with there were, were fantastic. And the devices were really cool and monitoring your beta and alpha (laughs) waves while you're meditating and stuff is super cool. But the, I, I encourage people, whether it's one of a meditation retreat or a yoga retreat or, or 40 years of Zen or whatever, just spending some time really giving yourself the gift of introspection is, is just so valuable. Mm-hmm. I, my, my mother even commented the next time I saw her, she lives in Edmonton. I live in, I was living in, no, I was living in Vancouver at the time, went home to visit her a couple of months after, after I did the 40 years of Zen. And she said, you seem different. Hmm. Like she actually noticed that I just seemed just calmer, more confident, more relaxed with the person that I am. And again, it wasn't the, it wasn't the electrodes. It wasn't the heart rate variability. It was, (laughs) it was mostly just spending that time really thinking about what makes me tick. There's a healing power to space and stillness to doing nothing, you know, literally doing nothing. But, and, but it does take effort. Yeah, yeah. It it does take the, all the good things in life. We want them to be a little more effortless, but you do have to take action. Yeah, like, I think we've gotten stuck in a in, in a society of collecting information. Like we go to Pinterest and look at inspirational quotes. We read self help books and stuff. But until we actually take the action and really make ourselves do the work. Mm. the real change doesn't, doesn't come. So that was, that was the other, the other part was having the time to do the introspection, but also to do the introspection and, and give the forgiveness, spend the time forgiving myself, forgiving other people, expressing the gratitude and and stuff. It sounds so, I sound so 
I don't want to say woo woo because that's a terrible expression. No, I mean that's but, great. I think, but this right. is something that every culture in the world has done for thousands of years. Yeah. Like whether it's the going to church or whether it's being in a monastery or being in a Buddhist temple on the top of a mountain or or whatever, it's something that humans have done for thousands of years, and it's uh, there's a reason why we did it. It's getting back to those basics, man. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> in touch with your own feelings is a good place to be. And I lose it occasionally, but at least I know how to, I know to find my way back. Yeah. I think that's what it's all about at the end, you know, just having an ability to come back. You know, I think we get sometimes hung up on trying to be perfect or solving a particular problem with our identity, but it's really just your ability to bounce back. You know, that's don't stay there too long. I mean, I still get triggered every day. I wrote a book on gratitude last year or two years ago, whatever it was. And, I have all this stuff I'm doing just like yourself. And it's like every day we get triggered every day. There's something that sets us off in some way, but you know, you don't stay there. You don't commit to that, to that situation because you know that doesn't serve you. So yeah. I think when you can get to that, you know, it's. Yeah. My anxiety is not gone, even though I was doing cognitive behavior therapy for it in 2003, but I do know how to manage it. Yeah. Now, it's a part of me. I still, I still have it, but I value it almost like it's, mm -hmm. it is a part of me and I know how to use it to, for the power of good, I yeah. guess, in, in some ways. I've been there too, man. I've had uh, my own bouts with anxiety. I had some really bad generalized anxiety in college from an accident that I had and it led to like panic attacks several times a day. They wanted to put me on meds. I didn't want to do that. And it even, I almost like even choked while eating one time because I was having a panic attack and mm -hmm. that like further yeah. made it worse. So I started having trouble eating because I was afraid I was oh, getting wow. a panic attack when I was eating. So imagine how disordered eating that is. Like yeah. you're literally getting a panic attack when you're chewing because you're afraid you're going to choke again. And mm -hmm. so I wasn't even able to eat for a little while. It was crazy. I mean, I'm great now. Thank goodness. I really, you know, trained myself out of it. And, and just like you said, you know, you kind of rein it in, but I know, I know what that's like. It's, it can be pretty debilitating, but it was also a, a great experience in the sense that it taught me to be strong, to be mindful, to be, you know, resilient. Yeah. And to, so I'm very grateful for it because it was an internal battle that really strengthened my ability to deal with stress and to, to make the right choices to say, okay, what serves me? What doesn't, I don't want to have a panic attack. Like I, this doesn't, you know, black or white, you know? So learning from life yeah life lessons man cool well um we, we, i'm sorry what did i cut you off no i was just gonna say instead of not being a victim but being a <laughs> being a student yeah yeah That's... man every day every day there's some new little breakthrough and i'm very grateful that every day it's like i'm learning something new every day just like this having this conversation getting to be creative getting to be out in nature getting to do it's just life is good you know, no matter what, life is always good and you're always getting taken care of. There's always two big hands holding you like this across life. And no matter how crazy that water on the outside seems, you're always getting taken care of. That's what I believe. So I like that. I like being scooped up. That sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's been a time for faith for sure, you know, with all this shit going on. It's it's been a time to really you have to choose. I mean, you have to, because especially with what's going on, they're polarizing the world into, do you either go the fear way? Do you live in fear and do you buy into all the bullshit that's going on? Or do you live in faith 
and make a choice to live in faith and be strong and, and, and see the world differently. So you have to choose, otherwise you'll get wrapped up in all the chaos that's by default. You know, they're, they're spinning a narrative that's, that's based on fear for several reasons, but. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a, a particularly American sentiment as yeah. well. Um, not to say that like in Canada, we don't have our, our sense of fear and, and dread as well, but I, yeah. I do feel like there's been some, some difficulties your country has faced in, in the last, well, hundred years, but certainly in the last few years that has really, I feel like fear is the predominant feeling coming out of out of america sometimes and and it's it's not right it's it's not the way that that anyone should live i hope uh i hope at the end of all of this some some real changes in in our culture and and cultures around the world but i hope the american culture can really turn itself around because it's a wonderful country filled with wonderful people and the the leadership is is not um not doing you right but politics aside, <laughs> I did, I, that was my gentle Canadian version of getting political. I hope that was okay. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up for today's interview. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. So many great golden nuggets about embracing fitness as an extension of what you truly want in life, how to structure what you do and what you eat from a perspective of fulfillment, of perspective of intuition, of listening to your body, of of creating your life to be enjoyable. You know, fitness, this is something that we evolved with as far as moving all around all the time, you know, having some form of exercise. That's part of who we are. And that should be a pleasurable part. You're here to enjoy life. Life is meant to be enjoyed. You know, this is such a precious gift that we have every day that we wake up, that we get to enjoy another day. It is a precious gift. So I truly hope that you structure your life and the decisions that you make about what you eat and why you eat and why you work out what you do and where do you go to work out and and how you feel about your body. You know, all these different things that we talked about today from a perspective of love and enjoyment And don't get hung up on all the opinions and fads out there. Just use good principles. So make sure you follow Brock at brockarmstrong.com. Don't forget about his seven-day mindset reset program. He runs that uh, way less program for people to, you know, manage their relationship to food, their weight, and really create long-lasting change. It's really powerful stuff, so make sure you go check that out. And share it with your friends. You know, share it with anybody who needs to restructure their life, who needs some help you know, restructuring their relationship to food, their diet, their exercise, who's having a hard time sticking to a, a exercise routine. You know, Brock's a fitness writer. He's writing articles all the time. Very good stuff. You can go follow him and share this episode. It might spark a new decision and that new decision leads to a changed life, which is pretty powerful. Don't forget James Clear, author of Atomic Habits. If you haven't read that book, go read that book. It'll change your life. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. You are the sum of your habits, guys, and every decision that you make, you are strengthening some habit regardless. Whether that habit is to, you know, sit on the couch and eat potato chips, that's a habit. Or the habit is to go work out and to go for a run in the morning or whatever it happens to be. Everything we do 
has a memory to it. And when you do it again, you strengthen that memory and that's how habits are created. So the question is really, who do I want to be? How do I want to live my life? What aspects do I want to have? What people do I want to have in my life? And once you create that, then you create the actions that naturally arise from that. You don't need motivation. You just need a powerful, compelling why that draws you forward. And pretty soon, through practice, that becomes your identity. And that's when it becomes, quote unquote, natural or automatic. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hope it made a difference in your life. And have an amazing rest of your day, guys. We'll see you on Tuesday for a little Tuesday transformation. And we'll see you next Friday for some more awesome stuff. Until then, remember your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.